Today's scripture is Matthew 9, 14 to 17. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. You may be seated. Let me pray for us once more. So, Father, we pray now that you would further reveal your love towards us. God, your your love is a bottomless well. Lord, we can draw from it and we will draw from it from, for all eternity. And so I pray now, Lord, would you please help us to hear your word to us this morning? Would we be challenged by it and also encouraged by it? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, I do invite you to turn to that passage that was read. That's going to be our primary text for this morning. I'm going to be jumping around a little bit in the second half of the sermon, but you can, you can just start there, Matthew 9, starting in verse 14. Um, throughout the Bible, food plays a prominent role in the narrative. In the very beginning, in the garden, God creates Man and woman, Adam and Eve, and one of the first things he tells them that they should do is eat. He says, I've made for you all of this good food, all of these green plants. They're, they're good for the eyes. They're good to eat. Enjoy. You should eat. Later on, in Genesis 19, God visits Abraham, and Abraham pleads with God to, to stay with him a little while in order that they would do what? In order that they would eat. In order that they would sh share a meal with one another. Later on, in the story of Exodus, God, God is promising to call out Israel from Egypt. He's, he's forming a nation. He performs the, the tenth plague. He destroys the firstborn of every um, son in, in Egypt. And yet, there's only two verses about that. And then for the next chapter and a half... God is going to explain the fact that they should eat in remembrance of that event. He establishes the, the Passover meal. Later on, when Israel now is in the land of Canaan, one of God's commands, this, this is one of his rules, is that you should tithe, you should give aside a, a certain portion of your money in order that the nation might hold a celebration and feast together. Like, this is one of God's rules. I want you to throw one of the best parties known to man and just celebrate and, and eat and drink. In the New Testament, Jesus, I've said this before, is basically living on a modern-day cruise ship. He, he goes from one meal to the next. And in between meals, he's talking about what he's going to eat next. Like, that, that's the way Jesus operates. You can just, you can track his ministry as, as going from meal to meal to meal to meal. And then, at the end of Jesus' life, in one of the most important events, right before he's going to die, he does what? He teaches the church that they should eat together. 
that every time the church gathers, they should celebrate the communion meal, taking bread and wine in remembrance of him. Food and eating together play such a prominent role in the Bible. So, (laughs) what are we doing this upcoming week? In case you don't know, we are, we are taking a week to pray and to fast. To, to seek the Lord and go without food so that we might further seek him. Why are we doing that? Because as good as food is, we want something better. As good as food is, we want something better. Let let me define fasting for you. John Piper defines it like this. He says, fasting is a temporary renunciation of something that isn't in itself good, like food, in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater, namely God and his work in our lives. Food has this ability of satisfying us. There's something delightful in a good steak, right? At the end of a hard day's work, you you come home, you eat any meal. You sit around the table, you eat some food, and just for a moment, you feel like, man, everything's all right in this world. Food has that way of of satisfying us. That's, That's why we call it comfort food. The danger, though, is we can get so caught up in food, we we can constantly be snacking on food that we miss out on a greater satisfier, on a greater comforter. In fasting, therefore, we're declaring, God, as great as all your gifts are, I want the giver more than the gift. God, above all else, above food, I want you. So let me, let me talk to us about the ways we can go about fasting. What, what might this week ahead, and not just the week ahead, but, but a rhythm of fasting, what might that look like in your life? In the Bible, the, the primary way fasting occurs is through abstaining from food and liquids, not primarily water. What I mean by that is they're not like, you know, not eating bread, but then just crushing like protein shakes or smoothies, right? They're they're, they're abstaining from nutrition either through food or through beverage. And as best as I can understand that, the reason is, why specifically food? I think it's because it's supposed to point to Jesus who's called the bread of life. Jesus is the one who ultimately satisfies, the one who ultimately sustains us, and food is to help us get a picture of him and understand that he has that role in our lives. Food, specifically food, I think is attached to our spiritual well-being. Now, it may be possible that um, this week or in the times ahead, it's not possible for you to fast from food. Right? Maybe you're a new mom, you're nursing, maybe you're a diabetic. There, there might be a whole bunch of reasons. And maybe you can't fast from food this week. Let me encourage you, fasting can also happen 
by abstaining from other things that are right and good. You may choose to abstain from TV, from your phone, from sex. You should talk to your spouse about that one. But, but there are good things that you can abstain from in order to declare to God, God, above all of these good things, I still want you. You, you are greater than all of these other good gifts you have given me. Now, fasting can take place for 40 days, like Jesus did in the wilderness. In the Bible, we see fasting take place for seven days, for a week. Fasting can take place just for one meal. You skip a snack, that in many ways would still be considered a fast. Fasting can take place from all foods. You just refuse to eat at all. Fasting can take place just from eating luxurious foods, right? Maybe, maybe you just eat the bare minimum or the bare necessity. But let me encourage you to fast. God, I'm giving this up because I want you more. And so my aim this morning, over the rest of our time, is encourage you to spend this week, maybe just a portion of it, but not just this week, as a rhythm in your life, to pray and fast. If you want more of God, you want more of his joy and satisfaction and holiness, you want more intimacy, you want more of God's power in your life, it comes through fasting. I believe fasting is one of the most underpracticed spiritual disciplines in the church, and yet fasting is one of the key instruments God has used in the church to change the course of history. And that's no exaggeration, as I'll show you later. Fasting is key. So let me, let me tell you what we're looking at this morning. We're looking at fasting under two headings. One, the uniqueness of Christian fasting, and secondly, the purposes of Christian fasting. The uniqueness and purpose. Here we go. Firstly, the uniqueness of Christian fasting. Look, look at verse 14 again. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast. So let's just start right at the beginning, right? Ground level here. Um, is fasting even a Christian practice? Right? So, so some of John the Baptist's followers, his disciples, they come to Jesus and they ask a question, Jesus, your disciples aren't even fasting. Look, look, we're fasting. The Pharisees are fasting, but we don't see you and your disciples fasting. So I, I feel like that's a legitimate question. Should, should Christians even fast? And, and look at what Jesus says. This is the reason he says, verse 15. Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And notice here why Jesus says they're not fasting right now. It's because fasting is an expression of mourning. Can the wedding guests mourn? Uh, to, to fast is a way of declaring, it's a way of expressing that things are not okay. God, we are longing for something else. Th this is not the way things should be, God. We're, we're sorrowful about it. And so Jesus says, though, they're not fasting right now because they're not mourning right now. 
He says they're not mourning right now because the bridegroom is with them. In the Old Testament, the um, God was often referred to as a husband who would be wed to his bride. And now Jesus says that bride's groom has come. The, the husband is here. God, God is here. So th- this is not a time of mourning anymore. Th- this is the very thing that they were looking for. Th- this is the very thing that they were waiting for and anticipating. They're, they're not fasting because God is working here right now and they're seeing lives changed right before their very eyes. This is not a time of mourning, not a time of fasting. And yet, Jesus says, again in verse 15, The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Even though they don't fast now, my disciples will fast, Jesus says, namely when I'm no longer with them. And basically, after Jesus' ascension back to heaven, Christians have begun to fast. So fasting then, let me say, is a Christian practice. But (laughs) what is uniquely Christian about this fasting? What makes for Christian fasting? The reason I I ask that is lots of people fast. People from all major religions fast. In Islam, they fast during the month of Ramadan. The Hindu upper caste of Brahmins uh, uh, take fast like have a very serious fast. Even the Jews fast during Yom Kippur. So lots of different religions fast. More than that, fasting takes place for health reasons. Some of you participate in intermittent fasting. And it's right and good, and there's lots of health benefits. And I love it when um, science catches up with the Bible. Fasting is good. Just physically, you you should do it. Fasting also has been used, historically, as a political weapon. Um, Gandhi would often deprive himself of food. Here's this small, frail man abstaining from food for the very purpose of garnering attention for himself. Look at me. Look, I am so desperate for this political change. You need to pay attention to what I want to happen, and I care so much about this that I'm going to fast so that I would get your attention. It's done by all major religions for health reasons and a political, as a political weapon. So, what's so unique about Christian fasting? Look, look at verses 16 and 17. Jesus says, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Jesus, when he is referring here to the old garment or the old wineskin is referring to the Old Testament and the Jewish custom of fasting. 
Contrast to that, the new wine and the new wineskin is the reality that Jesus has come and has brought the kingdom of God with him. And those two realities, Jesus says, do not go together. There's a profound disconnect between the old and new way of fasting. Please listen. This distinction is small, but the difference it makes is massive here. The, the, The old way of fasting was done in hope of God's promises being fulfilled. The new way of fasting is done because God's promises have been fulfilled. The old way was done in longing for Jesus to come. Now we fast because Jesus has come. Let let me try to explain like this. Um, A uh, a little while ago, a couple years ago, uh, some dear friends purchased a gift certificate for my wife and I to go to a nice meal. They said, look, we're taking care of your kids. We we paid for you. Go. Um, We've already booked a reservation. Just don't eat before you go. There's lots of food and it's so good. Don't, don't snack in advance. Just skip lunch and go. And so I'm, I'm hearing that, and I'm going, okay, maybe. And then lunch curls around, and I'm hungry, and I'm a little grumpy. Like, why am I doing this? Is it, is it really worth it? How, how good is it really going to be? And we end up going. Uh, it ends up being uh, the restaurant published on Maine, which ends up winning Canada's Best Restaurant. And um, all of a sudden, everything's changed. Now, going back to that restaurant, skipping lunch is easy. Of course I don't want to, of course I don't want to fill up on crappy food when I can eat that. Right? There, there's something greater. And, and I've experienced it. And, and so I know how good it is. And now I don't, I don't fast, I don't skip lunch because I'm, I'm wondering uh, how good is it going to be. I skip lunch because I know that it's good. I've tasted it. It's so good. And I want, I want more of that. What is it that makes Christian fasting different? Before, there was this wonder, this question of, is it worth it? Will God really be able to defeat sin? How good will it really be? But now... Now when we fast, there's this confidence and assurance. Jesus has come. He has defeated death. He's alive. I I know sin is defeated. I've tasted it. Man, I've seen my life be transformed by God. And I want more of that. The new fasting, Piper puts it this way, the new fasting, the Christian fasting, is a hunger for all the fullness of God aroused by the aroma of Jesus' love and by the taste of God's goodness in the gospel of Christ. Now, there's no wonder. Man, will God hear us? Will everything be okay? Is he really for me? Man, God gave me his only son. Will he not also give me everything else I need? And so that's why we fast, because we've tasted it. Man, you've had this sense, if there's ever been this moment in your life and you go, man, Jesus is greater than everything else. Man, if I could just have a little bit more of Jesus, I would give up everything. If you want more of that, that's why you should fast. That's why you should press in. You want to know something interesting? 
Um, nowhere in the Bible is there a command for Christians to fast. There's not. There's no command to fast. Jesus never tells you this is something you have to do. You won't find it anywhere. And yet, Jesus says, look what he says. He says, then they will fast. He says, he says in verse 15, you can expect that they're going to do it. I don't have to command them to do this. They're going to want to do this. This is something they voluntarily take upon themselves because they have tasted my goodness, they've seen me at work in their lives, and they long for me to come back and do more of it. That's why they're fasting. Man, they just got, they just had the appetizer, but now they want the main course. So should you fast this week? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not going to tell you you should do something the Bible tells you you don't have to. And yet, have you tasted the goodness of Jesus? Do you want more of that in your life? If that's true, then fast. It's the means by which God gives us in order that we might experience him more. Helps us see that Jesus is greater than everything else in this world. So, that's the uniqueness of Christian fasting. It takes place because of what Jesus has already done. Why do we do it? What, what's, the, what's the purposes of, of fasting? Um, it, if you don't have a purpose to your fasting this week, what, what can happen is you can reach the end of the day and you can just been hungry all day and just wondering, like, why did I do that? You just look back and just a little bit upset. Just felt like a little bit of a waste of time. Instead, let me encourage you, if, if you're going to fast, you're going to abstain from something, th there should be a purpose behind it. Also, if there's no purpose behind it, what happens is abstaining from food just becomes a measure of your willpower. And it's just this means by which you measure yourself against the rest of this world. Now, look how disciplined I am. Uh, abstaining from food. Look, look at me, and it becomes a self-centered endeavor instead of becoming a God-centered endeavor, which is what it's supposed to be, and, and a humbling submission to him, right? That, that's what should happen in, in fasting. So here, let me give you three aims, three aims or three purposes to fasting. Firstly, fasting should be done to intensify our prayers, intensify our prayers. He, here are these words from Ezra chapter 8. Then I proclaimed a fast there, this is Ezra talking, at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before the Lord to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. What's going on here? Ezra and the nation of Israel has just been in exile in Babylon. And all of a sudden, the king of Babylon says to Ezra and Israel, you know what, you can go back to Israel. Go, go, back, to, go back to Judah, re rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, go, you're free. And so Ezra and Israel are going to go on this journey. The problem is, it's probably a three-month walk. And they don't really have a lot to defend themselves with. And so Ezra has a decision to make. Okay, 
Either I ask the king for help, king, you're sending us back, can, can you defend us? Or, he says, we fast and pray. And God, I, I want to make the king realize that it's your power who sustains us, so that's what we're going to do. Israel, would you please fast and pray? And so, God hears their prayer, and he listens to them. And he answers their prayer, and he grants them safety. Um, fasting strengthens our prayers in a couple ways. Um, fasting reminds us to pray. It reminds us to pray. Um, hunger, while you're fasting, is actually a good thing. It is. That, that's one of the purposes. What's supposed to happen is th this train of thought, right? You, you're going about your day. All of a sudden, you, you feel an ache in your stomach, and you go, oh man, I'm hungry. And your next thought should be, oh right, I'm hungry because I'm fasting today. And then you go, right, I'm fasting because I'm praying about something today. And then you pray about that thing. That's, that's the role that hunger plays in fasting. It's supposed to remind you of your purpose that day to pray for something specific. And then what you do is you take that time that you would normally eat and you dedicate it to prayer. So if you're skipping lunch, take your lunch bake and pray for whatever that thing is that you're asking the Lord for help with in your life. So, so fasting is this alarm clock, this, this, this felt alarm clock in our lives reminding us to pray. But fasting also, secondly, is an exclamation to our prayers. It's an exclamation mark at the end of our prayers. See, fasting is a God-given means by which we show God how much we desire for him to answer our prayers. We're saying through our fasting, God, this much I desire you. This much I want you, God, that I would give up this very good thing for that. So God, hear me. I want you to be at work in power more than I want food right now. John Calvin says this. He says, whenever men are to pray to God concerning any great matter, is there something great in your life right now that you need help with? It would be expedient to appoint fasting along with prayer. Fasting intensifies our prayers. Now, before we move on to the next purpose, let me just say this. Fasting is not mechanistic. What I mean by that is fasting does not force God to answer our prayers. It's not like if we just get the right thing to fast from and the right amount of time fasting, we just punch it into the vending machine that is God and out comes that thing he, we, we want from him. That, that's not the way fasting works. And yet, and yet, even though all things that are given to us are a means of grace, it's a gift from God, none of it is deserved, and yet, God uses fasting to answer specific prayers in our life. Um, when we fast, we do the very opposite thing of, as expressing our power and strength. Right? So, so Ezra and Israel are going to go on this three-month walk back to, to Jerusalem. And what are they going to do before they head out on this massive journey? They're going to deprive themselves of food and sustenance, right? This, this is the opposite thing as procuring strength for themselves. 
right? God, actually, we're going to go low. We're going to go so low here that you have to be our strength. God, this is how much we want you to show up. We're, I'm not going to depend on my strength. I'm not going to take this challenge head on. God, no, no, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to ask you, God, for help. And in this humbling, that's when God loves to answer prayer. God loves to answer prayers when he gets all the glory. And when we go so low, when we go so weak that we're even willing to give up food, the thing that sustains us, that's when God delights to show up and help us. So fast as a way of intensifying your prayers. Secondly, we fast to pursue holiness. To pursue holiness. Listen to Joel 2. Yet even now, declares the Lord, so the Lord speaking, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. What, what does it look like to fully return to the Lord? It looks like coming to him with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Um, just like weeping is an expression, a, a physical expression of grief, so fasting also can be a physical expression of grief over sin. Sometimes in the Bible, people fast because they're grieving their own sin. Sometimes people fast in the Bible because they're grieving the sins of others. And yet, when we come in fasting and with prayer, we're saying, God, make me holy. God, my, my sin makes me so sick that I don't even want to eat right now. God, I, I want your kingdom to reign even in my heart. I, want, I don't want just that transforming work out there. I want it in here. Make me like Jesus. Take, take away my sin in my life. Do, is, there, is there in your life habitual sin? Is there in your life just these sins that you just keep coming back to? It feels, it feels like you can't put them to death. Man, would you use fasting as a means of helping you overcome them? Of expressing your grief to the Lord and, and asking him to change your heart? Now, he heads up about this. Um, what can happen, we can fast and pray and go, okay, God, this is the sin I want to see overcome in my life. And then what happens is because you're hangry, other sins begin to arise in your life. And, and you, you at first begin, um, I at first begin to excuse them. That's just because I'm angry. And then you realize the problem's not a lack of food. The problem is my heart. I'm angry because there's anger in my heart. I want to exercise control over everyone and everything in my life because I have a self-control issue, right? Fasting brings up and exposes us to other sins in our lives. And, and so pay attention to that. that that's, a, that's a gift from the Lord, actually. What, what do you turn to when you're hungry and you don't let food satisfy you? Do you go to TV? To your phone? To exercise? Look, all of those are good things. And yet, if those things are the source of your ultimate comfort in your life, man, you need to see that. You need to see those things as idols which are trying to replace the place of God. 
So, so let fasting expose all sins of your life and then ask the Lord to purify you in them from, from all of them. So we fast to pursue holiness. And lastly, we fast to seek the Lord's guidance. We fast to seek the Lord's guidance. L- listen to Acts chapter 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Sim- Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, or the Apostle Paul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So there's this new young church in Antioch. And they're worshiping God because this is all based on what Jesus has already done. And they're fasting and they're praying. And while they're fasting and praying and worshiping, the Holy Spirit appears to them and says, somehow, makes it very clear, Barnabas and Saul, who we also know as the Apostle Paul, I want you to set them aside and I want you to send them on a missions trip. I want to send them away. And that moment forever changed the world. It did. Um, That moment is the start of when Christianity broke into the Western Roman Empire. Do you want to know how many churches Paul planted after that moment? All of them. You want to know how many letters Paul wrote that we have in our Bible after that moment of prayer and fasting? All of them. 13 of our 27 books in the New Testament happened because of that moment, happened because the church said, God, we want to follow you. Man, we want your kingdom come. Your will be done in this world. God, show us how we might serve you. And the Holy Spirit said, okay, you really want that, hey? Send Paul and Barnabas off. Send them on a missions trip out west. And the history of the world changed. Maybe right now, um, you feel stuck. You, you just feel unsure about what God is calling you to step into in this next season of your life. Maybe it's, maybe it's this year ahead. Go, how, how do you want me to actually spend my time this year? What, what is it you want me to pursue? What am, I, what am I supposed to do with the, the skills and the talents and the resources you've given me? God, show me. If that's you, let me encourage you to fast and pray. The Lord uses our fasting. It, it, what it does is it aligns our will with the Lord's will, and then he shows us, and he points us in a direction that we should go. So you want to know what the Lord has for you? Fast. Fast and pray. So let me, let me tell you what this week for us as a church is going to look like, and, and then I'll end. Um, this week, just like the church in Antioch, we want to fast and pray. We want to ask God to guide us individually and corporately, and we want to ask God to work in our lives individually and corporately. So each day, you can pray for whatever it is the Lord is putting on your heart to pray for, but we're also going to have a specific prayer focus. 
So on Monday, we're going to pray. You can put this on the screen here. We're going to pray for personal holiness. God, make me holy. Make our church holy. God, help me to be like Jesus. On Tuesday, we're going to pray for our families, for our spouses, for our kids, for our extended relatives, for dear friends. They can count as family too. We're going to pray and ask God to break into their lives for their welfare. On Wednesday, we're going to pray for our church. We're going to pray for Christ City, Surrey. God, how do you want to use us? God, you put us here. We're four months old now. God, but what should we do? How do you want us to serve you? We want to ask God to make us holy, to make us an effective witness, to make us salt and light in this place, in Surrey. So God, how, how would you do that? God, lead us, help us, move in our midst, God, work in, in power. Then Thursday, we're going to pray for the salvation of the lost. We're going to ask God's saving grace to come into the lives of people who don't know him. We're going to ask Jesus to make dead people come to life. And then on Friday, we're going to pray for the flourishing of our city, for justice, for elected officials, for the school that we meet in, for God's kingdom to come here in Surrey. And so on Tuesday and on Friday in the morning, we're going to meet from 6.45 to 7.45 at that address. If you're free, I invite you to come. We're just going to pray. It's so good to pray with others. And then on Wednesday, if there's one thing you, you can make to this week, please come to Wednesday night. On Wednesday night, we're going to have an evening of worship and of prayer, just like the church at Antioch. And we're going to come and ask God to work in our midst. So if you want childcare for that event, you can register on our website. It's free childcare. But come. Come Wednesday night. Let, let's, let's invite the Lord and seek him together as a church and see what he has for us in this year ahead. Let me end like this. I'm, I'm going to read verse 15 one more time. Matthew 9, 15. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. Just as the disciples of Jesus didn't fast when Jesus was with them, and then began to fast when Jesus was no longer with them, there's a hint here. There's this forward anticipation that one day Jesus will again be with the disciples, and again they will no longer fast. There will be a day when we no longer fast. There is no fasting in heaven. There's not. Every one of our deepest longings and desires will be fulfilled. And Jesus will come back and make all things new. And there's no mourning. There's no longing. There's no expecting. It'll be there. We'll be living it. And so this is my encouragement to you. Um, Fast this week. Fast for portions of this week. Fast in longing for that kingdom to come. And then on Friday, don't fast, but feast. Feast. Feast in anticipation of that day that will come. Get together with others who have been fasting this week. Get together with close friends and rejoice and celebrate what Jesus has done and what he promised he will do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, man, 
anything, Lord, that happens that is worth of eternal value will be because you do it. God, we just want to acknowledge that before you. God, it is not our strength that will bring about change either in our lives or in this world. It's you. So God, we just come humbly before you. We ask you to work. Um, Jesus, many of us might be afraid. Maybe this is a new thing for some of us. Fasting, going, going without food. Um, Jesus, I, I, I just pray, would you show them that you are worth it? God, just as um, Jesus said after not eating that he has a food, he has a source of sustenance that we're not aware of, God, would you be that sustenance and source of life in our lives? Would you replace our need for food? God, we, we, we want you to glorify yourself. And we want to be used however you see fit. So we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, this week, um, we ask not for our daily bread, but we ask for you to hear our prayers and to answer them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.